To make a donation, visit biblicallycorrectpodcast.org slash donate. And if you enjoyed this episode, please like, share, and subscribe. Thank you for your support. Does the Bible say we need to fight for our freedoms? Welcome to the Biblically Correct Podcast. Shalom, y'all. This is the Biblically Correct Podcast, teaching biblical correctness in a biblically incorrect world. My name is Kevin Jeffrey. I'm a Jewish follower of the Messiah Yeshua, Jesus, and I love teaching the scriptures. I don't think of myself as being particularly political. I vote, I learn about who I'm voting for and what the issues are, and I do my best to make wise, informed decisions. Sometimes I'll write an article about a social issue that's bothering me and post it on my blog. I keep up with the news about what's going on in the world. That's about it. But that's not to say that I haven't grown increasingly concerned about the future of our country especially since 2020, specifically with regard to our civil liberties. We the people have been giving them away for a while, but now we've put leaders in power who are actively trying to take them away. So this started me thinking, as a follower of Yeshua, Jesus, what's my obligation to fight for American constitutional freedoms? What kind of effort do I need to put in to protecting them? How far, if at all, do I personally have to go to preserve those civil liberties? I know what my patriotic heart is telling me, but what do the scriptures say? Are my political and social values coming from the Constitution or the Bible? So I decided to spend some time in the Word to see if I needed to change my stances on anything, and now I want to share what I found with you. This may or may not be something that you've also struggled with, but I found this study well worth my while, so maybe it'll be helpful to you too. I hope it is. So I decided that my starting place should be with America's founding documents. And what first came to mind was the most famous and beautiful line from the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Unalienable rights. That means that the framers believed that these rights are granted by God and that no man or government has the right to take them away. And among these self-evident rights are the right to life, the right to liberty, and the right to pursue happiness. Then I went to the Constitution, specifically the Bill of Rights, which are the first ten amendments of the Constitution. And I focused on the first and fourth. The first amendment says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech, or of the press, or of the right of the people peaceably to assemble, and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. So this amendment guarantees the free exercise of religion, freedom of speech, freedom to publicly publish our speech, and the right to peaceably assemble. And finally, there's the Fourth Amendment, which says in part, the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated. So this amendment guarantees our security or privacy in our homes, personal belongings, and private documents. In other words, it gives us the right to keep our personal private stuff private. So these are rights guaranteed to me as a citizen of the United States of America. And according to our founding documents, the specific rights of the Constitution flow from the self-evident 
unalienable rights endowed to me by my Creator. And that's where I realized I needed to start my biblical search. According to the founders, these unalienable rights are self-evident, meaning that I shouldn't have to go to God's Word to confirm that I have those rights. It should just be evident to me that I have them. But the American founders aren't God, and the Constitution isn't the Bible. So I can't just take the Declaration's word for it. I needed to find out if that's true for myself. So I started with the unalienable right to life, and Genesis 9, 5-6 appears to confirm it. I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. Then I skipped to the unalienable right to pursue happiness, And that one I couldn't really find any biblical support for, especially given a quote I came across by Thomas Jefferson, the author of the Declaration of Independence. He said, Our greatest happiness does not depend on the condition of life in which chance has placed us, but is always the result of a good conscience, good health, occupation, and freedom in all just pursuits. Now, I like what that says as far as civil liberty goes, but I'm not really seeing any direct biblical support for it. The Bible defines happiness very differently. So I just moved on feeling like the pursuit of happiness could just be viewed as an extension of the second unalienable right, the right to liberty. And that's where I really started to dig in. So is there a biblical unalienable right to liberty? Specifically, do I have the biblical right to free exercise of religion, the right to freely speak and publish my thoughts, the right to peaceably assemble, and the right to privacy. Has God endowed you and me with those rights? Well, here's what I could find from Scripture. First of all, God delivered Israel out of slavery in Egypt specifically so that they could be free to serve Him. As Moses said to Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 7, verse 16, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. So Israel needed to be set free from their oppressors in order to freely worship God. The scriptures also teach us not to be oppressive toward others. Exodus 22 verse 21 says, You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. And 1 Timothy chapter 1 verses 9 through 10 says that being a slave dealer is ungodly, sinful, unholy, and profane. And finally, I also found this interesting line by Paul in the context of his discussion about eating food sacrificed to idols. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 29, Why is it that my liberty should be judged by another's conscience? He's implying that in the absence of a direct command by God, our conscience isn't subject to the judgment of others. We're free to make decisions according to our conscience. So with regard to a biblical right to liberty— This was all I really found that even tangentially related to the subject. God gave Israel liberty from an oppressive power that was keeping them from serving him. God instructs us not to rob people of their liberty. And Paul implies that we have liberty of conscience. So God is most certainly concerned with the liberty of people. He works to ensure it. He even commands that we provide it for others. But I don't think that translates into a God-given right for ourselves. On the contrary, where liberty is concerned, God doesn't set us free simply so that we'll be free, 
but free to worship him and serve him and be the people of God. That's what we're supposed to do with our liberty. Should it be self-evident within our moral conscience that people ought to be free? You would think so, but it seems that the Bible stops short of saying that liberty is an unalienable right. My next question then, regardless of whether or not we have a biblical right to liberty, was, is there a biblical imperative to fight for our constitutional civil liberties? Well, we know that Israel didn't fight to leave Egypt. God did the fighting for them, so no help there. However, fast forward to after God brought Israel back from exile and after they rebuilt Jerusalem. First, Nehemiah received God's favor to also rebuild the surrounding wall so that Israel could remain safe and free. Nehemiah 2.17 says, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are all in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, so that we may no longer suffer derision. Second, the people remained armed while they worked to build the wall, so that they would be prepared to defend themselves in case of attack from the surrounding people. Nehemiah 4.14 says, And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. So in order to keep Israel free from the intrusion and contempt of the surrounding peoples, God gave Nehemiah favor to rebuild the wall, and they prepared to protect, defend, and fight for themselves. We also know that Simon, one of Yeshua's disciples, was a zealot, meaning he was part of the first century Jewish political movement that would later lead a revolt against Rome. According to Josephus, the first century Jewish historian, the zealots had an unviolable attachment to liberty and say that God is to be their only ruler and Lord. And finally, Yeshua also told the disciples to buy swords, presumably to defend themselves on their travels although he instructed them not to take up their swords during his arrest. And again, this was all I really found that was even remotely related to my question of whether or not we had a biblical imperative to fight to protect our civil liberties. The measures that Nehemiah took were defensive in nature, as were the disciples arming themselves. And while Simon the Zealot became one of the twelve, that doesn't amount to an endorsement by Yeshua of the Zealot movement. So, while there doesn't appear to be any biblical imperative to fight for our liberties, there are definitely examples of the people of God defending themselves. Israel certainly went on offensive war campaigns during its history, but I don't think that's really relevant here. If we can take any cue from the scriptures regarding how we should protect our civil liberties, it's that we may need to be prepared to defend ourselves, whether with walls or with weapons. So, if there's no biblical imperative to fight for our civil liberties, then what responsibility do we have in that regard, if any? And again, I found only a couple of scriptures that may be somewhat relevant. Proverbs 24.11 says, Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. So, I suppose if the violation of civil liberties was leading to people's deaths, we would have a biblical responsibility to rescue them. This, for example, might be similar to Corrie ten Boom and her family in the Netherlands hiding and rescuing Jews during the Holocaust. And Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, 
Now, if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of the household, he has denied the faith, and he is worse than an unbeliever. Paul said this in the context of providing material provision for widows, but it seems to me that the provision of life and liberty are inferred in his statement. We ought to take care of our families, and if the infringement of our civil liberties puts that provision at stake, then perhaps we will need to act. So after my searching the scriptures and reflecting on this question of essentially whether or not I need to be more politically or socially or radically active in order to fight for or preserve American civil liberties, here's where I'm at and here's my advice. One, don't be afraid of what's happening or what's coming. Yeshua says in Mark chapter 13, verse 7, And when you hear of wars and reports of wars, be not troubled. These need to be but the end is not yet. Everything is going to end eventually. But if you're following Yeshua, you'll ultimately be with him. What the world will go through will be terrible, but the master tells us that these things need to be. It's all part of the plan, so there's no need to be troubled or afraid. Two, pray for our governmental leaders. Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, verses 1-2, through I exhort you then, first of all, that there may be made requests for help, prayers, petitions, and thanksgivings for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and peaceable life in all godliness and seriousness. For as long as we can, we should want to lead a tranquil and peaceable life. And so we should be praying for our governmental leaders, that they will govern in a way that allows us to continue to do that, a way that preserves and restores our civil liberties. Three, respect and obey the government. Exodus 22 verse 28 says, you shall not revile God nor curse a ruler of your people. Yeshua says in Matthew twenty-two twenty-one, return therefore the things of Caesar to Caesar and the things of God to God. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 13 through 16, be submitted for the sake of the master to every human creation whether to a king or whether to governors, because this is the will of God, doing good as free men. And Paul says in Romans 13 verses 1 through 2, let every soul be submitted to the higher authorities, for there is no authority except by God, and those existing authorities are appointed by God, so that he who is setting himself against the authority has resisted against God's decree. And those who are resisting will receive judgment to themselves. It's really clear what the scriptures say about governing authorities. They are set in place by God, and so to set ourselves against that authority is to resist and defy God's will. It's our biblical duty to be good citizens and to submit to our laws and governmental leaders. That said, number four, be prepared to resist and disobey a tyrannical government. After saying we should be submitted to the higher authorities, and that setting ourselves against that authority is to resist against God, Paul goes on in Romans 13, verse 3 to say, For those who are ruling are not a terror to your good actions, but to the evil actions. So the directive to submit to governmental authority is made under the assumption that those who are ruling us aren't a terror to our good actions, but only our evil ones. So if we're doing good, that is, if we're obeying the word of God, and even the Constitution for that matter, 
but the government becomes a terror to those good actions, then it appears that such submission is no longer biblically required. For example, when Pharaoh commanded the midwives to kill all the Hebrew baby boys they delivered, Exodus 1.17 says that the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. They disobeyed the direct and unequivocal command of the king. But just because we refuse to comply with unbiblical and unrighteous laws and decrees, that doesn't mean that we're free from the consequences of that civil disobedience. For instance, in chapter 3 of the book of Daniel, the king of Babylon commanded that everyone worship a false god. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego wouldn't obey, telling the king in verse 18, We will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And for that, they were thrown into fire, though they were preserved. And likewise, in chapter 6, when the king of Persia decreed that no one may pray to anyone but him, in verse 10 it says, When Daniel knew that the document forbidding prayer had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. And for that, he was thrown into a den of lions, yet he was also preserved. And finally, in Acts chapter 4, the Sanhedrin commanded Peter and John to no longer speak or teach in Yeshua's name. And in verses 19 through 20, they answered, whether it is righteous in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot help but speak what we saw and heard. And when they were brought back before the Sanhedrin in chapter 5, because they had disobeyed that command, they again answered in verse 19, we must obey God rather than men. So, as a result of this study, I feel like I gained some perspective for myself and how I'm going to approach the matter of American constitutional freedoms going forward. Now that I've gone to the scriptures, which is something I should have done a long time ago, I think my allegiance has shifted a little bit. My patriotism has been somewhat tempered, and now my motivation for fighting for freedom isn't based on an American ideal that presumes an endowment from the Creator, but is instead fueled by the Word of God. Because what I uncovered in the scriptures, despite what the Declaration of Independence says, despite the fact that here in the United States, we still enjoy the freest society on earth, bought with the blood of generations of brave American patriots, it turns out that the Bible doesn't confirm that we have a God-given, self-evident, unalienable right to liberty. And yet, the scriptures do teach that God is absolutely concerned for our freedom. Specifically, he wants us to be free to worship and to serve him. The Bible also doesn't say that we have an imperative from God to fight to preserve our constitutional civil liberties. And yet, it does provide examples of people being prepared to defend themselves against their oppressors, as well as instructions on how to relate to governmental authorities in prayer, in submission, and in disobedience. As far as the Bible is concerned, Our focus isn't supposed to be on what rights we may or may not have, but on our personal responsibility to protect and provide. A protection and provision which could conceivably extend to our taking action upon the infringement or threat of infringement of civil liberties. 
While the scriptures never compel us as believers in Yeshua to fight for civil liberties, defensively or otherwise, there's certainly nothing in the scriptures preventing or forbidding it. On the contrary, the limiting of civil liberties may very well jeopardize our ability to protect and care for our families, thereby aligning our biblical obligations with a fight for freedom. So when you vote to choose leaders of godly character, or the degree to which you keep apprised of the political and social signs of the time, or if you ever run for office or join the military, or if you become more politically or socially activist, or if in the course of human events, you determine it's become necessary to alter or abolish a form of government that's become destructive to your life and liberty. These aren't biblical matters, but matters of conscience, a conscience that still ought to be informed by the word of God. Scripturally speaking, we're free to get involved at any given level of American civil life or to resist or defend ourselves or fight to whatever extent our biblically informed conscience allows. And yet, we have to strike a balance. And keep in mind that as wonderful and precious as the American way of life is, as much as our freedom is worth fighting for, being patriotic and obeying the word and will of God are not the same thing. Our personal responsibility is to be fundamentally good citizens and to stand up for truth and righteousness, but also to not act or resist or fight in any way that violates either our conscience or the Word of God. So whether we take action and get involved, or whether we sit idly by and let it all be destroyed, we need to be prepared to live with the consequences. But whatever we do, whatever actions we take, our first commitment must not be to a flag or a constitution or privacy rights or to freedom of religion or freedom of speech or freedom of assembly, but to our freedom in Messiah. As the prophet says of our master in Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1, The Ruach of Adonai Elohim is on me, because Adonai has anointed me to proclaim good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the broken of heart, to proclaim liberty to captives, and an opening of bonds to bound ones. No amount of political involvement, or social activism, or selfless military service, or fight for liberty, or constitutional rights, should rival the freedom we seek in Yeshua. Had we as the body of Messiah been pouring ourselves out, proclaiming with our words and actions Messiah's true freedom, rather than pursuing the comforts of modern American happiness, we would not now be facing the loss of our other freedoms. By not making full use of our civil liberties to promote and advance Messiah's liberty, we have generationally failed to continue persuading our neighbors and leaders of the truth. And that complacency is at least partly responsible for the erosion of our own constitutional freedoms. We need to realize that those on the political left who are bent on destroying us and denying us our liberties are zealously devoted to their cause as if it's a religion. Our response, then, can't be primarily political or patriotic. The road back isn't by fighting for our civil liberties, but first by fighting the good fight of faith in our hearts, homes, and communities. Messiah's freedom is the first and most important freedom that we should want and expend ourselves for, not to save our civil liberties, but to save the souls of our fellow citizens.
No matter how free or oppressed we may be in our civil liberties, no matter how much we fight for or defend those freedoms, it's Messiah's freedom that is the true freedom, not for pursuing whatever we please, but for being set free from sin and death with the creator-endowed, unalienable right to publicly proclaim our liberty in Yeshua. Because as the scriptures say, it's for freedom that Messiah made you free. Stand then and be not held fast again by a yoke of slavery. For where the spirit of the master is, there is liberty. And if the son makes you free, in reality, you will be free. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Biblically Correct Podcast. If you like this episode and want to see us make more, then we need your help. Visit our website at biblicallycorrectpodcast.org to support the work of Perfect Word Ministries and MJMI with your much-needed donations. And of course, don't forget to like, share, comment, subscribe, and ring the bell to receive notifications whenever a new episode is posted. If you have any questions about this teaching or if there are any other topics you'd like to see me cover, leave me a comment or shoot me an email at kevin at perfectword.org. That's kevin at perfectword.org. Until next time, remember that every scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for refuting, for setting a right, and for instruction that is in righteousness, so that the man of God may be fully equipped, having been completed for every good act. Shalom.